0: Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, lagonvalleyvineyard.com. I am Hannah, if we haven't met for, I'm part of the team here at LVV, married to the lovely James, and it is my privilege to be sharing with you guys this, um, this afternoon. Uh, We're going to be wrapping up our series on Ruth, um, if you're new with us. Um, And next Sunday, we are going to be um, jumping into a new series, 18th of February, um, called Living in the Shadows. And through this series, uh, Stu and Andy are going to be teaching into the hope that we have as Christians as we face physical death. And it's going to be a moment in the year for us as a community together to take time to walk through some of the things that we maybe don't get a chance to talk through together very often. But it is something that is an internal conversation that occupies space deep under the surface of our lives, and it's really, really important that you hear from me that this is not going to be um, a dark or heavy series. It's going to be one that's full of hope and the restoration and resurrection um, of Jesus. But I'm I'm mentioning this to you this morning, this afternoon, because I have a date for your diaries. Um, as part of this new series, we're going to be hosting a theology workshop, uh, where we're going to be joined by um, Ben Blackwell, who is going to be guiding us um, in a conversation around Jesus, around heaven, and around hell. Ben is the vice principal of WTC Theology. If you haven't heard of WTC, it's a college that offers part-time, fully accredited degree pathways in studying theology. If you haven't heard about WTC, I would absolutely love to chat to you about it. But Ben, he's a really trusted voice, both by us here at LVV, but also in theological circles across the world. And don't let this word theology spook you, um, or let you make any assumptions about what this evening is going to look like. Theology really simply, it means to study God, which is something that we do every Sunday whenever we gather together and open up God's word together. So I don't want us to be intimidated um, by that word theology. Um, so you, the event, if you want to wave your phones at me, everyone, there's going to be some participation today, so be ready for me. Um, go to your calendar, Right? flick to Sunday the 25th of February, and I want you to put in a new event for 7 p.m. This is just to put it in your diary so that you know that's happening. I'm not saying that you put in this diary means that you're having to lock yourself in for this, but it is just, I find it helpful putting things in. Um, so 7 p.m. Sunday 25th of February, and this is very Very important detail. Um, This workshop will not be here. It is going to be in Journey Church in Lisburn. There'll be more information on our social media and our weekly email about um, where that is specifically. But if you show up here, At 7pm on the 25th of February, Uh, Chris and Amy and the youth team will be incredibly overjoyed to see, but you will end up um, getting roped into doing the monkey. Um, And if you don't know what that is, then I would just really, really recommend that you put 7pm at Journey Church Lisburn, and show up for the theology (laughs) workshop. Um, Right, phone's away. Can everyone have a Bible handy? If you don't have one with you, um, there should be a black Bible in and around your seat. Um, go ahead and grab that. If you don't see one anywhere, just throw a hand up and someone from our welcome team um, will be able to give one to you. Um, I forgot mine last week, uh, so don't be rummaging around your bag, pretend to have one when you don't have one, because there's no judgment, no judgment. Has everyone got one? Okay, Good. Um, if you didn't have a Bible when you walked in here and you're now holding a black Bible that is officially your Bible so take that home with you Um, so yes as I said we're in our final week of a series of the book of Ruth and um, why don't you turn to Ruth in your Bibles in the black Bibles it's page page 181 and we're going to be in chapter 4 this week Um, but if this is your first week with us let me give you just a quick recap of the story So chapter one, the story opens with Naomi, her husband, Elimelech, and their two sons that are journeying from Bethlehem to Moab because there's been a famine. When they get to Moab, tragedy strikes. Elimelech suddenly dies, followed by his two sons that have since got married. So Naomi is now a widow, um, and she's left with her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, who are also widows. Naomi begins to travel back to Bethlehem because she hears that there's food in the land. And one of the girls, Orpah, she decides to stay in Moab. But Ruth, she makes a commitment to stick with Naomi. And so they both travel back to Bethlehem together. And the outlook for these women, are it's really, really bleak. We've touched on this um, across the number of weeks that we've been looking at this story, that the culture of the book of Ruth was patrilineal and patriarchal. And in other words, this means that the oldest living male in the family was responsible for all economic and legal duties of the family. And this was passed down through the men in their families, all inheritance and money. Um, And this is where women then would find their protection and their provision. And this is why whenever we read um, the Old Testament, we see that it's really important that women marry and that they have sons. And this is just how it was in ancient Israel. This is just how it worked. And so Naomi and Ruth, who had lost all the men in their family, they were utterly destitute. They had no provision, no protection or inheritance, and they relied solely on the charity of strangers to stay alive. We saw this in in chapter 2 where Ruth goes out into the fields of strangers looking for food um, and she finds herself in the field of a man named Boaz. Boaz notices Ruth is aware of how incredibly dire her situation is and offers her provision by sending her home uh, with lots of food and protection in his field by ensuring that nobody will touch or harm her. And then we start to see a little bit of a love story begins to unravel. And we discover that Boaz is Naomi and Ruth's kinsman redeemer. This word kinsman redeemer, it basically means that Boaz has the legal ability to step into Naomi and Ruth's family to provide and protect them. And to also ensure that the male lineage that they're attached to, that their husbands had, um, won't come to an end because the men have died. And so then last week in chapter three, uh, we watched as Naomi hatched this pretty risky plan for Ruth to approach Boaz in the middle of the night, following a party and essentially proposed to Boaz, asking him to take up this role of kinsman redeemer to marry Ruth and redeem their family name. And then the chapter ends with the cliffhanger of all cliffhangers where Boaz presents the problem that legally there is another man that has the right to take this role before he does. And so the scene ends with Boaz promising to find out that day whether this other man is willing or not. And so now we find ourselves in Ruth chapter 4. Wave your Bibles at me. Nice. Right, we're going to we're going read this together. Um, and as we do this, I want you to pay attention to anything that stands out to you, whether it's a word, whether it's a phrase, whether it is a verse. Dana led us in this practice in chapter one, and I love it. It's just a really, really simple way of meditating on Scripture that we can take away with us today. Uh, by simply paying attention, to, p- paying attention to what moves you or what confuses you, letting that ruminate for a while, and then doing a wee bit of theological digging because we all do theology right we all are theologians whenever we open this word and study it together so pay attention to what stands out to you i'm going to read chapter four holy spirit come meanwhile boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along boaz said come over here my friend and sit down so he went over and sat down Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you and I am next in line I will redeem it he said then Boaz said on the day that you buy the land from Naomi you also acquire Ruth the Moabite the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property at this the guardian redeemer said then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate you redeem it yourself I cannot do it Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Now, can you imagine doing this in the solicitor's office? (laughs) then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people today you are my witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Killian and Malon I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite Malon's, wife, Malon's widow as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown this today you are my witnesses Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Epiphra and be famous in Bethlehem. Throughout the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amemadad, Amemadad the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. Amen. You can keep your Bibles open here um, as I'm, I want us to take some time unpacking what stood out to me this week as I read over this chapter. And the first thing that stood out to me is the idea of values I wonder if you've ever had a clash of values with someone where you and someone else have been looking at exactly the same situation or the same decision, um, but how you decide to approach it is entirely different based on what you think is the most important outcome from that. Um, Or maybe you've unknowingly stepped on something that somebody deems is really valuable, and believe me, you will know about it very quickly. Maybe you have kids and you've thrown out that scrumpled up piece of paper or those last three baked beans on the plate and you very quickly discover that that piece of paper and those three baked beans were of infinite value. James and I, we bumped into this a couple of years ago when we were visiting my brother out in Australia. We were on this beautiful beach and as we were walking along, um, I saw this wee rock on the ground and it was like literally like in the perfect shape of a heart. I was like, oh, this is so beautiful. I picked it up and it was like, because of the way that the rocks are in Australia, it was like bright red, almost like pinky color. I was like, this is stunning. And uh, (laughs) I turned to James. I was like, here James, look at this rock. Like, isn't this amazing? He's like, here, let me see that. He picked it and he just won it into the sea. I don't even think he had thought through what he was doing. But uh, per James, <laughs> he um, didn't really realize the value that I had placed on this rock within like two seconds of seeing it. And again, within two seconds, he realized the value that I had placed on that rock And at the start of this chapter in Ruth, we similarly meet someone who has their values exposed very quickly. And this is the first thing that really caught my attention whenever I was reading this week. So at the start we see that Boaz is waiting at the town gate for this unnamed man who has the legal right to act as the kinsman redeemer for Naomi and Ruth. And initially, whenever Boaz explains the situation in verse 4, this unnamed man, he jumps at the opportunity. We see this in verse 4. I will redeem it, he said. But then in verses 5 and 6, he does a full 180 and completely backs out. And what changed was that Boaz reminded him of Ruth. Remember, alongside offering provision and protection for widows, the purpose of the kinsman redeemer was to continue the lineage of a family when all the men had died. Naomi, she had passed the age of having children and that's why this man didn't really see that aspect of being the kinsman redeemer. An issue in verse 4, but whenever Boaz reminded him of Ruth, who could still have children, this man knows that any of her sons would inherit the land and continue the lineage through her husband's name, not his own and this is what he's alluding to um, in verse 6 whenever he says that Ruth's kinsman redeemer might endanger his own estate and um, another word in Hebrew for estate is inheritance and this is a thing that i want us to pay attention to in this text Initially, this man, he portrays that he really values the role of kinsman redeemer. In verse 4, he's like, yes, yes, I will be the kinsman redeemer. I will step in and redeem this land. And yet, in verse 6, his behavior reveals a disconnect between what he says that he values versus what he actually values. He doesn't actually value the role of kinsman redeemer at all. He was more interested in his own reputation and personal gain of land than the actual purpose of the role of caring for the vulnerable and ensuring that the widow's male lineage didn't come to an end. And The absolute irony of this whole chapter is that that same man who had such a high value for his reputation and his family lineage, he remains completely nameless throughout the entire book. The word used for him in Hebrew is poloni. That's probably the most Northern Irish pronunciation you'll ever hear. Um, But poloni, which basically means so-and-so or (laughs) whatchamacallam. Per whatchamacallam. compare this to Ruth and Boaz who throughout the story both place incredible value on people over their reputation and their possessions. We see this in, in Ruth's unmerited kindness to Naomi in chapter one, even though she had no obligation to commit to journeying with her. And Boaz's radical generosity to Ruth throughout the rest of the book, even though it came at a cost Ruth and Boaz, they both placed people as the most valuable thing above reputation and possessions, and yet they are the ones whose names and reputations are remembered forever. Not only are they mentioned in the great King David's genealogy in the closing verses of Ruth, but in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1, they are named in the genealogy of Jesus. This is what I want us to understand from this encounter at the gate. Watch McCollum, he said that he valued this role of kinsman redeemer, but when it actually required something of him, his behavior revealed the opposite. What we value is reflected in our behaviors and our behaviors reflect what we value. But sometimes these things don't match up. I wonder if I was to ask you this afternoon, what do you value? And do your behaviours reflect this? Maybe if you're feeling really brave, ask those that live with you. See, there's two different types of values. There's aspirational values and there's actual values the things that we aspire to value in our lives and the things that we actually give value to in our behaviours. And aspirational values, they're not a bad thing at all. It's so important for us to look at our lives and to think, I want to be somebody who values kindness. But if I don't actually act kindly, then that's aspirational and not actual, right? Right? Like I can be utterly convinced that I value time with people, but if I show up to every coffee, every dinner, every meeting late, then my behavior is actually communicating that I don't value that person's time. Or I can say that I value my family, but at dinner times, if I find myself sitting on my phone, my behavior is communicating that I actually value social media more than the people that are sitting in front of me. I think it's really important for us to identify the disconnect between our values and our behaviours. But it requires a bit of work. It's usually a bit of a blind spot. And so if we're to take this seriously, we can't just rely on it popping into our heads right now and then going home and it'll all sort out. Like we need to be really intentional and taking time to reflect on this. It requires us to this week do a bit of a life audit and ask yourself what do I value and do my behaviors actually reflect this? If you think you value hospitality how have you made your home available to people this month? If you think you value generosity where does your bank statement reflect that? If you think that you value speaking well of people, how have you engaged in conversations when gossip has came up? Please don't hear this as a, you need to do more to do better type of talk. Please don't feel that at all. I just want us to be a community of integrity, that we are confident in the the things that we say that we value actually match up with our behaviours. I don't want us to be watching McCollums who were happy to take the heroic status of kinsman redeemer until it actually goes to cost us something. This is another marker of our values. This is how we connect the disconnect. We need to be willing to sacrifice for them. Values don't come without a cost. We don't value something just because it comes really easy to us. Like I'm a bit of an introvert and so skipping that social gathering so that I can be at home by myself is not really because I value silence and solitude. That's just convenient for me. Valuing silence and solitude actually looks like crafting in time into my week for silence and solitude to exercise it as a practice even whenever I don't feel like it. Or maybe it's sacrificing those extra moments of sleep before everyone wakes. And if you know me, this is a really big sacrifice. Values, they, they require sacrifice. And this is how we take our aspirational values and implement them into actual values. Generosity, um, it's a really, really simple example of this. A value for generosity, it isn't revealed by giving when we have extra. That's not actually what generosity is. A value for generosity is revealed through committing to give regardless of when we have extra or when we have less. When we look at this kinsman, redeemer role, the whole purpose was God's way of ensuring generosity and protection was extended towards those that were most vulnerable. Watch McCollum, he aspired to play this role up until the point that it was going to cost him something. And that's whenever he backed out. That's when his behavior revealed that he didn't actually value being a redeemer at all. Are you willing to sacrifice for the things that you say you value? And as I was reading this week, And as I was reflecting on Watcher McCollum's values and how they were standing out to me, it led me to ask myself, what value is this text inspiring us to take away as we wrap up this series together? This is my final point that I want to make. It's one word, it's one value, but it sums up everything that we see throughout the book of Ruth. If you're a part of a tribe, you'll have heard me mention this five letter word last week, Hesed. Hesed, it's a word that you can't really translate into English. It tries to encapsulate the indescribable nature of God. There's a slide that will pop up behind me with hesed and all of the words that um, can be used to describe it. Mercy, kindness, loving kindness, goodness, compassion, covenant love, going the extra mile. This is something that we see God displaying to us throughout history and throughout Scripture. A deep commitment and a loyal love to us and it's something that he in turn calls us to extend towards other people. And although as we can see it's it's really hard to sum this word up there are two really important aspects of hesed. Firstly, it's kindness that can't be earned. It's not given under any obligation. And secondly, it involves extravagant generosity that goes above and beyond what could ever be anticipated or unimagined. Unmerited kindness and radical generosity two key aspects of hesed. And for Israelites, it would have been so glaringly obvious that hesed was the value woven into the entire book of Ruth. But for us, we've had to do a wee bit of theological digging to find it, right? The purpose of the book of Ruth, it was to help people understand what behaviors reflected a value for hesed. It takes all of those big, indescribable qualities and shows us really practically what it looks like for ordinary people in ordinary ways to practice Hesed. And as we come to land this, this afternoon, I want to speak to three different types of people in the room around this idea of Hesed. Firstly, I want to speak to the Naomis. You find yourself in chapter one right now where everything around you feels like it's fallen apart. Relationships, financial security, identity, future. You feel like you've tried calling out to God, but nothing's changed and you feel yourself starting to become bitter. And I want to ask you this afternoon, where are your rifts? Where are the people around you that you need to allow into your situation so that they can become human embodiments of God's Hesed? This whole story would have looked entirely different if Naomi refused to let Ruth commit to journey in life with her. If she didn't allow herself to be vulnerable and say, Okay, this isn't pretty but I need your help and I don't want to journey this by myself. And if you find yourself in a situation like Naomi this afternoon, you need to know that God is fiercely committed to you. His goodness is reaching towards you, but you need to stop trying to hold everything together and instead open yourself up to receive this is how you will find the Hesed of God. Secondly, I want to speak to the Ruths. You know that you are partnering with God in something. Maybe it's in your workplace or in friendships or family and there's just a lot of things that are getting in the way. Maybe it's fear or doubt or it's just obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. And Ruth reminds us that God partners with ordinary people in ordinary situations of life. But these situations are difficult. There's nothing easy about the commitments that Ruth had to make in order to partner with God and show hesed. And so if you feel like you are a Ruth today, I want to remind you not to overlook your behaviors in the mundane moments of life. Don't underestimate the power in giving your yes daily to committing to where God has you, even if you feel like you're not getting anything back. Really simply as as we come to worship, I just want to invite you, if you're a Ruth, to remember where God has been faithful in the past and let that remind you that he will be faithful in the future. Thirdly, I want to speak to the Boazes, maybe if the band want to come up. You know deep in your heart that people are the most valuable thing. Above money, above stuff, above reputation, people are the most valuable thing. But if you're honest, you've realized that some of your behaviors haven't been reflecting this recently. Boaz, he reminds us that said this deep value for loving people, it doesn't come without a sacrifice. And so if you feel like you identify with Boaz this afternoon, I want to ask you what feels really costly for you right now? Maybe this is the indicator of where you need to lean into showing hessed, showing that radical generosity. Maybe it's showing kindness towards somebody that has spoken really hurtfully over you recently. Maybe it's being really intentional with your spending habits so that you can budget monthly giving to something rather than just giving whenever you have extra. What feels costly for you right now? We're going to take some time to worship and to respond. And if you're able, would you stand with me? before the guys lead us I want us just to take a moment to be really honest with ourselves and with God in this place about where we're at whether you feel like you're a Naomi that maybe needs to stop trying to hold it all together and instead open yourself up to receive Maybe you feel like you're a Ruth that needs to give your yes again to where God has placed you and is partnering with you. Or maybe you're a Boaz that needs to lean into hesed, even though it comes at a cost. And I just wanna remind all of us this afternoon that we give because we have received from him. We don't show this hesed from a place of lack. But that it comes from knowing the goodness, the unmerited kindness and radical generosity of God in our lives. And so as we come to worship, I just want to invite us to receive that to receive that knowledge that God loves you so deeply that you are the most valuable thing in the world to him. You don't need to do anything to earn his Hesed love and that you can continually receive it day after day after day. It is radical generosity that never runs dry let me pray as we come to worship God we thank you for your Hesed love for us we thank you that throughout scripture and throughout history and throughout our lives time and time again you're running after us with Hesed love and even if we maybe don't feel like we've earned it right now we receive it There's nothing that we can do, nowhere that we can go, that is too far from the reach of your loving commitment to us. And so, God, as we look up and fix our attention on you, as we worship, we declare your Hesed love for us in every situation. Come, Holy Spirit. Let's take a moment to worship together.